Lone Star Gun Talk is a Lone Star Gun Rights production. Original music and hosted by Derek Wills. Copyright Lone Star Gun Rights 2019. Welcome to the podcast. This is Lone Star Gun Talk, the official podcast of Lone Star Gun Rights, and I am your humble host, as always, Derek Wills. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, go ahead and chime on in comments where you're listening from. Uh, and today we have a very special guest with us. We have Miss Rhonda Michelle Seth, who is running for HD25 against House Speaker Dennis Bonin. Uh, Rhonda, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Um, welcome to Lone Star Gun Talk. I'm super glad to have you on. Uh, so today we're talking about you. Uh, let's start off with a quick introduction. Who are you? Where do you come from? And where are you going? Well, that's uh, all good questions. And first, let me just say thank you so much for having me. I think you guys are doing fantastic work. And uh, this is actually my first podcast, so I'm thrilled to be with you guys. Well, I, I, pleasure's all mine. You, I, I promise you can always come back as many times as you want. Uh, we, we could even turn this into the uh, Lone Star Gun Talk with Derek and Rhonda if you'd like. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see how today goes, Derek. Okay. <laughs> um, yes, I, as, as you said, my name is Rhonda Seth, and I actually grew up uh, in the district down here, House District 25. And um, a couple of months ago, I decided that I would be running against 22-year incumbent Dennis Bonin. Um, he's been he's been a representative for about I think 11 consecutive terms. Right. And um, I just decided that it was we needed a change, and nobody else is stepping up. So here I am. <clears throat> um, which was kind of funny. It was ironic. A few weeks back, he did a post on his Facebook that was uh, recognizing the women's suffrage vote. And then he added some commentary that said, you know, we need more women's voices in politics and we need more women on the, the ballot. Uh, I'm not entirely sure this is what he intended. <laughs> uh, likely not. Um, but uh, so, so you've never this, you've never run for any public office before. This is your first time. Correct. I am not a politician. Uh, I'm actually, for the last, last decade, I have been serving my community as an ER nurse. Oh. Um, I, I work uh, full-time as an ER nurse. Uh, I also teach uh, in a nursing program. Um, I've got two small boys. My husband is a master technician mechanic. Um, we're, so we're just average people. And um, so this is a big leap for us, for sure. Well, uh, no kidding. Uh, you you picked one hell of a race to to get started and in, uh, into the realm of politics. I'll give you that. Uh, and uh, kudos. That's not that's not a knock on you. That's uh that's a that's a big kudo to you. Um, yeah. Oh, when ahead. my when my husband and I were sitting at the kitchen table and we were talking about this, you couldn't just run for city council or something, could you? <laughs> I, I guess go big or go home. Um, I, I guess that fits here, right? It does. <laughs> All right. So uh, you are an ER nurse from, I, I, I'm assuming, Angleton? 
Well, I grew up in Ingleton, so I lived about my first 21 years in Ingleton, and I've lived the last 21 in Lake Jackson. All right. So you're, so you're an ER nurse from Lake Jackson, and you just decided one day a couple of, what, a month ago or so? Uh, you know, that, yeah, yeah. So uh, five, six weeks ago, you just decided, you know what? I'm going to challenge the sitting speaker of the Texas House of Representatives because why? <laughs> yeah. And uh, let me clear that up. Also, I've been asked several times what why I'm running for speaker of the House. Um, let me clarify. I'm, I'm not running for speaker of the House. It doesn't work that way. Um, I'm running actually to represent Brazoria and Matagorda County. And yeah, I've been watching, you know, I've been like everybody else. We're in that very busy kind of season of life. Um, two young boys, careers, you know, all that sort of stuff. But I've always paid attention and I've just been very unhappy with our representation. And, um, you know, at some point, voting is not getting the job done, and I kind of came up with the conclusion, well, if nobody else is going to do it, and it's not getting done right, I'm going to just do it myself. So here I am. <laughs> so are, are you a glutton for punishment? What, I, <laughs> what, what, what drove you to uh, just say, you know what, I'm going, to, I'm going to do it? It couldn't have just been I'm unhappy with it. I mean – Sure, that's a motivation for a lot of people, but what was the straw that broke the camel's back that's, that made you say, you know what, I'm going to challenge Dennis Bonin in the GOP primary? Right. Well, beyond being happy with this long term, um, I think the kind of the match diffuse for me was the just, and I've said it over and over again, and I'll probably say it a million times, it's just the malicious just very deliberately deceitful way that he killed House Bill 357. Um, it was just clearly, he playing the victim, overly dramatic. Um, and I've looked at his stuff. I've watched the GPS video. Um, I've spoken with some of the people involved. And it just was, I don't think he ever intended to pass it. I don't think he ever intended to give it a hearing. Um and unfortunately, he just he's a master at capitalizing on opportunity. Correct. No, I uh, I adamantly agree with you. Um, I, it was pretty obvious to us that he had never intended on uh, uh, he, he never intended on passing HB 357 from the second he, he put uh, Jose Navarez on uh, the chairman or uh, on the chair for the committee. D-rated Democrat in term of, terms of uh, current gun rights. Right. And also he is a uh, an angry mommy's fanboy. Uh, he has, you know, they were championing him just because he is who he is. Um, but all of that aside, are you suggest are, are you saying that his handling of constitutional carry is what ultimately made you decide I'm going to run? It was the final straw. Um, I do support constitutional carry. Um, I think that <clears throat> any gun laws are restrictive and I think we need to not only fight the ones that they're trying to pass, I think we should look at repealing some of the ones in place. Um, and that was certainly a primary um, like I said, motivator for me to get into this race. And there's other topics, of course, um, 
property taxes. That's probably a hot button for me. Um, and I just, I am tired of being lied to. Um, and it's just like, there's so much disingenuous self-congratulations regarding this past 86 legislation session and very little came good of it. And it's uh, a bunch of smoke and mirrors. We're not getting property tax relief. Um, and there's just, they want to spin it in a way to make it palatable to the voters. And I'm just saying the voters, we need to wake up and we need to dig into it ourselves and stop, stop allowing people to tell us what to think. I, that, that is, that is like one of the greatest answers I've ever heard in my life. And, uh, I'm not just saying that because you gave constitutional carry some, some love here. Uh, <laughs> One of the biggest, I guess, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? One of the biggest frustrations that I have here uh, personally is when people are complacent. They're like, well, they're better than the Democrat. Well, that's true. But if they're, well, is it? Because if they're acting like the Democrat, they're helping the Democrat, they're voting with the Democrat, and they're lying to you about why they're doing all these things. Are they really better than the Democrat? Uh, so... I'm really, really happy to hear that your rationale for running is because you're sick and tired of being lied to. Uh, you're tired of uh, the political uh, handshaking the and, and all of that that goes with it, all of the corruption that goes with it, and then to top it off, uh, the way Bonin has been swindling and lying and, and just going after people because he doesn't like what they stand for. It, it's atrocious. And so I'm super glad to hear that uh, that you're running. And, and you've got a lot of love here in the comments. You have um, uh, James saying that he hopes you'll win, that Rhino Bonin needs to go. Uh, Terry says, go Rhonda. Uh, and Phil says, uh, I, I don't think this was directed at you, uh, but he says, "What, <laughs> what does the word infringed upon mean to you regarding the Second Amendment?" So I guess, I guess that's a that's a good question for you. What does the word infringed mean whenever it comes to? I guess well, it, it would apply to any natural right. So what what does infringed mean to you? Sure. So I think one of the greatest uh, quotes that I've applied over and over to gun logic is, I think it was Ben Franklin, um, "Those that would sacrifice any liberty." any liberty or uh, perceived safety uh, deserve neither. And I think that's true. Um, I don't need anyone from the government telling me when I can carry, where I can carry it, and what I can carry. They don't need to tell me what pieces, part, ammo, or anything else. Um, I've got intelligence, and I, I just have a real problem with the government who – Everything they touch is inefficient and never truly in our best interest. So I feel like I can make better decisions for myself and my family than uh, the government can. So that's what infringed means. Don't do it. Right. Uh, <laughs> wonderful answer. And by the way, I love that quote by Ben Franklin, which a lot of people don't know. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go off on a tangent here. So if you'll forgive me and just okay. give a quick history lesson. Uh, but the reason behind that quote is uh, Franklin was serving on uh, the Pennsylvania General Assembly at the time. This was before the U.S. was around. And uh, there were pioneersmen 
they were uh, front frontiersmen if you will militiamen exploring the uh the west if you will and they were trying to raise money uh raise more money to fund them in their explorations and the governor was saying that he wanted more money more money more money and they even proposed tax increases for this and included some property tax in there as well and but he also put in some exemptions in there and the governor didn't like it and so franklin was getting frustrated and he basically said i'm not going to go to seize people's properties in order to fund this and the militiamen out on the frontier would not agree with that either even if it meant getting them socks and and good shoes and more firearms and that's where his uh his quote came from was a letter to the to, to the governor at the time uh and he was basically saying that if you're giving up the right to property in order for to get uh security out on the frontier against the indians you don't deserve either liberty or security and that's what that's that's where that whole thing came from. I, I think it's it's amazing and somewhat ironic that he was actually talking about taxation, but it applies to literally everything. Anyway, I'm sorry for that. Uh, no, no, I think that's. I think we need to know more of our history. Um, and you know, that's one of the things that I think is so insidious about politics and government and laws is that. They don't just come out and say, hey, we're going to take all your guns. Well, I think some of the Democrats are now, but um, in general, they like to give it to you in little pieces. They take they take little pieces at a time, little bites. And before you know it, you are just a subject of the government. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's the thing that people have to you can never lose your vigilance about those small little steps. And that's why I think it's important with gun rights and property taxes and all the other backdoor deals that they make is you have to constantly be digging in and saying no. That was one of the things I loved about uh, Representative John, Jonathan Stickland is he understood sometimes that <clears throat> popularity wasn't necessarily going to be the result of the decisions, but that giving away these tiny you know, bits of your freedom uh, culminates into again being a subject absolutely and uh, James chimed in again and he said something that is something I've been saying for a long time so I guess that whole great minds thing uh, applies here he says the moment the government or any politicians can tell you which of your rights you may exercise and which you cannot you no longer have rights you have privileges and privileges can be removed at any time on a whim uh, what, do you, what do you think of that Oh, I think that nails it. Um, and people are, I mean, that's to me my biggest job in this, in this race right now. You know, I'm, I would say I'm nobody, you know, I'm not a politician. I don't have huge name recognition. You know, I don't have $5 million sitting in my campaign account, anything like that. So my job is to talk to the people in our district and educate them, give them the facts, and then they can decide, you know, yeah, I'm okay doing what the government tells me or, you know, no, I would like to maintain my independence. Okay. So all of this is wonderful. It is absolutely great. And I am getting a phone call, um, from my wife because reasons. <laughs> so I apologize for the, the beeps in there. Um, yeah. so 
so here's here's a question. All of that is is wonderful to hear, but what it what what do you value? What are your um, what are your priorities? What sorts of things drive you outside of gun rights? We know where you stand on that, but but mm-hmm. what are some of the issues that you plan on highlighting on running on? What what do you believe as far as other issues outside of gun rights? Sure. Um, property property taxes is a big one for me. Um, I just this past week spent my day off down at the property tax office. Um, they increased my appraisal value by about $12,000 and I protested it uh, successfully this time. So my problem is, is that they're telling us, hey, we had this tremendous property tax reform, blah, blah, blah. It's not true. You're not going to see any lower of taxes because while they capped it at 3.5%, what they didn't touch was your appraisal. So they're either going to tax you 10% on a lower appraisal value or they'll decrease the percentage, which is what they've done, and your appraisal values are going to skyrocket. I mean, it's like a shell game. That's a friend of mine, actually, he's my treasurer, um, and he's pretty well versed in this stuff. And he said, that's all this is, is a shell game. And Absolutely. I agree with that. You know, the, you know. The, the, the thing is about property taxes, if, if I may, uh, you know, it's based on the value, right? Well, you can determine the value of a market good like corn or soybeans or oil because they're regularly traded and an ear of corn is an ear of corn regardless. Mm-hmm. But a plot of land is not equal as the plot of land next to it. A plot of land in the Texas Hill Country is not the same as the same acreage plot of land out in West Texas. You can't set a value on it. And if you do, it's completely arbitrary. Uh, the only way you can set a value on a, on a piece of property is when you sell it because somebody bought it for that price, meaning that was the value of that property. Sure. If a neighbor's house sells for, you know, they let's say they bought it for two hundred thousand and they sell it for two hundred fifty thousand a couple of years later, yeah, their property value might have gone up, and it chances are your property value went up too. But it's not a linear equation. The fact that the appraisal district is saying, "Oh, your house is worth this much," it's entirely arbitrary. So sure, and. There is no way to really get an accurate value of your house. Whenever I moved from Houston to Fort Worth, I listed my my house uh, for uh, $300,000, and I thought that it would actually sell. I thought that it was priced to sell. I sold it for $278,000, mm-hmm. and I couldn't be mad at anybody because nobody was buying it for $300,000, despite what I thought. The market sure. spoke and said, your house is not worth $300,000, it's worth two seventy-eight. And yeah, I was disappointed, but that's how the market works. And you know right. what? My property taxes didn't necessarily reflect that $278,000 uh, sale that I made. Right. And it's, it's, it's atrocious that we have these... Uh, that we have these appraisal districts who have the ultimate power to say there there is no reason that they couldn't go up to your house and say you know what I know last year we said your your valuation was uh, two hundred and seventy thousand we're gonna say it's worth a million dollars now there's no reason they can't do that and right. then it's up to you to prove otherwise somehow 
But hey, uh, we've done you a favor and we've dropped the the tax rate to 3.5%. Oh. So, so you're only going to be taxed 3.5% on that 10 million instead of 10%. Oh, oh, you know that's 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 all well and good uh, yeah. until you realize that uh that 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 3.5% is based off of an arbitrary valuation that will never end even whenever you have the deed to your house in your hand mm-hmm. and not to mention that if you were to equate it out let's take a 30-year mortgage uh on a on a piece of property and say that the pro- that the valuation never changes on if it's at two and a half percent which we're capped at three but the average in texas is two and a half if it's cap, mm-hmm. if it's at two and a half percent over that thirty years, you will have paid forty five percent of that appraised value in taxes over thirty years. Sure, that's that's ridiculous, and it mm-hmm. it doesn't end there. So you well, have, let me, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> let me let me tell you what my username used to be on the CAD site here. It used to be tired of renting the property I brought bought because yeah. that's all you're doing. Absolutely. Um, okay, so I got a couple of questions from people here. Uh, first one is from Philip. Uh, will you fight to keep our conf- our historical Confederate monuments? Uh, yes. I think that uh, one of the worst things that we're doing right now is trying to erase or rewrite our history. Absolutely. And then uh, people didn't know it, so we end right back up there. <laughs> absolutely. Um, let's see here. Uh, Terry says, and yet so many are praising property taxes. It's sad how how many of them have no clue and pay no attention. They just gulp the Kool-Aid down. And that kind of goes to what you were alluding to earlier about uh, people not really stepping up to do anything because they're probably just, you know, taking the propaganda and running with it. Um, Yeah, it's even them. A lot of people, I mean, it's just like how many times have I been asked what's making me run for Speaker of the House? Right. You know, or what does HD mean for HD 25? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, likely a lot of these people vote. But um, so, OK, so so property taxes, we're pretty solid on there. Do you have do you have a plan for property tax? What would you like to if if you could wave a magic wand, uh, you're emperor of Texas now. Uh, what would your plan for property tax be? Sure. I think they're, you know, and uh, I'm not a professional at this by any stretch of the imagination. And one of the important things that I'm doing right now is trying to educate myself on the, you know, a lot of this as well. Um, One of the things that I would like to look better into is more of a consumption tax type uh, scenario. And there's, I'm sure a lot of pros and cons both ways. Um, so it's something that I'm still looking into and would like to resource, research more. But I do know that the current system is not equitable mm-hmm. and um, there are no improvements to it. So, not getting so, so on that, a consumption tax is nothing more than a sales tax. Um, right. but, but the difference is that the state of Texas doesn't actually assess property taxes. It's always the county or the municipality that does. Um, so would your plan be essentially to obliterate all property taxes and give municipalities and counties more, more authority on, on sales tax? I think, I think local governments always should have, you know, I think we 
we should always work backwards like that. I think the least powerful person or the least powerful entity should be the federal government. Okay. The next one should be state. And then you get into your county and your cities. Um, it's just like, I've been, I've been contacted by some people recently regarding eminent domain. Mm-hmm. And I was very clear and very upfront with them is, and that's one of the things I have sworn throughout this process is if I don't know the answer to something, I will find out, Mm -hmm. I will learn. Um, And I will always answer honestly and not to garner support. And that's, you know, that's had me button heads some, some places with some people and that's okay. Right. But I think we should always refer to the people who are living in the, in the issues, it's like most people never think about eminent domain mm-hmm. because it's not their property. It doesn't it's, affect them. It's not their property, and a lot of it, uh, sometimes it might be on an issue that they support. Uh, but at the end of the day, even if it is on an issue that you support, eminent domain invariably means that somebody's property is being taken from them. Now, right. now the Constitution even says that eminent domain is... is is authorized, uh, provided just compensation, but it begs the question as to what just compensation is. If you don't determine that, right? So my my feeling on that is, if the property owner is content with that, then that's a ju- that's just compensation. That's a business. Yeah, that's a business transaction. Right, and but it, okay. but if they have a family farm that's been there for twenty five generations or whatever, I know we don't, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's a long time, but we'll say five <laughs> generations. Uh, if if they have a family farm that's been there for five generations and they don't want to sell it, doesn't matter what price you're offering it. Let's say the the let's say that hypothetically, if they were to put it on the market, it would be worth ten million dollars, and uh, a government entity comes along, claims them in a domain, and says, "Here's twenty five million dollars," and they say no. Well, taking it from them and throwing the $25 million in their face is not just. You took their property from them. Right. It doesn't Major matter that you gave them money. I mean, if I, st- if I stole your car and then I left you, you know, three times the market value in cash. I mean, well, maybe not the car, but there's something sentimental that meant something to you. You know, I took it from well, you. Let me tell you a little quick story here. This actually happened um, earlier this month. Um my husband and I both had vehicles that we've paid off and my husband was headed to work about a minute from our house and a guy ran a red light, T-boned another vehicle that hit my husband. Mm-hmm. So this was a good vehicle in working order, good AC, you know, and we had full coverage on our vehicle and the other driver also had liability, I believe, but the long story short, our insurance, which was the better insurance, offered us $2,800 for the vehicle. And that's even, that's, was even lower than Blue Book, but right. they got to determine what that value was. Um, and the, the truth of the matter is maybe it was worth twice that, but we didn't have a car payment. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a reliable vehicle and no car payment. And that, that's the kind of thing that is not factored into that financial compensation. Right. You know, and it's kind of the same thing with, you know, sometimes there's more to it than money. Right. No, absolutely. No, that, that is a very valid example as well. Um, so, uh, 
so let's let's move on. What are some other hot button issues that um, that really grind your gears? Um, staying on the track of money, uh, Texas, we just passed the single largest budget in Texas history, $252 billion. And so we did some math on it. It was up about $35 billion from the previous legislative budget. So for an average family of four, like mine, that's about an extra $5,000 a year that we get to send to taxes. Mm. Um, I'm not okay with the out-of-control spending. Um and that kind of leads me, they keep talking about Texas has a rainy day fund and we went to this. My next question is why does Texas have a rainy day fund? Um, because what that really means is that the government all along has been overtaxing you. And it's like you go to the grocery store and you buy something that's $18 and you hand them a 20 and they say, well, we're just going to keep this extra $2 for later, maybe. No, I want my change back. Right. You know, so they keep they keep your money and then they dole it back out to you, you know, at a fraction of what you gave and they expect you to be content and grateful for that. And um, I can spend my money better on my family than the government can. So uh, here's something. I just pulled up the U.S. debt clock for the state of Texas. And this is something cool. interesting. Uh, so right now, our debt in this state alone is $286.4 billion. Um, that's atrocious. And our debt per citizen is $9,918. So per citizen in this state, we, owe, we, ha we each have a, a debt burden of about... $10,000 and that includes your children. Right. And uh, you know, we, we, we like to point out the, the $22 trillion debt at the national level, but this state debt is disgusting. Um, yeah. it, it's it, the, the fact that we owe over a quarter of a trillion dollars mm -hmm. in, in debt. We, we can't afford to, to spend. We have a big government here in Texas and you know, I, I like that Texas has this mentality that we are uh, that that we are a small a beacon of small government, but we're really not. No, not at all. Um, and it just again, it just really irks me and has irked me all along with the way that our leaders are trying to sell this to the general public. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many things I have watched of Abbott or Patrick or Bonin just saying this was the best session ever, you know, and, and it's, it was not right. It was another step in more oversight, more spending, and they don't have any, you know, they say, Oh, well, we did all this teacher raises and teacher, you know, all this sort of stuff. And don't get me wrong, I commend teachers. You would have to pay me about $5 million a year to do that job. It's a tough job. Right. But they didn't really give them any relief. Because um, one, they're going to end up paying three times as much in their property taxes. So there's their winter raise. <laughs> yeah. Um, being facetious with that. but No, no um, that's, that is a valid point that, that nobody yeah. thinks about. But there's no sustainability to what they put out there. 
other than increase your, your taxes. Right. And, um, I just, and we have got to get representation up there. We have got to start electing people who know how to say no, no, we're not doing that. Um, it's just like within your own, I always think of everything into my own family. Um, my husband and I make a finite amount of money Mm -hmm. and we can't just spend whatever we want. Sometimes you have to say no, you have to do without something sometimes. Right. You know, it's, it's called being an adult and being responsible. And I think we, of course, in the government, it's always easier to spend. You're spending somebody else's money. You're not, it's not your own personal budget, you know? Right. No, that is absolutely a thousand percent true. Uh, you know, I uh, so I I take some issue with them, some a lot of things that that Ronald Reagan did, uh, but there was there's one he was a fantastic speaker, and one of the things that he absolutely nailed uh, in the '80s was saying that. Uh, you could say that the government spends like drunken sailors, but that would be insulting to drunken sailors because at least they're spending their own money. Uh, and as a former drunken sailor myself, that really hits home for me uh, because I was I was flat broke when I was in the Navy, but that was because I decided to spend a lot of money on uh, on on booze because that's what we do. Uh, but I never I never spent other people's money. Uh, because I couldn't sleep at night if I did. Um, so Thomas has a uh, Thomas has a question for you, and I I don't know if you'll have an answer to this. Um, but what is your opinion on Alan West running for state GOP chair? So I will tell you this: I don't have a very concise answer for you on that, Thomas. Um, I've I've been reading a lot more about Alan West, James Sticky. Um, and I don't have a good answer for you on that. It's something that I would need to continue to look into a little bit more. Um, I do, you know, it's kind of a catch-22. I've, I've kind of run into this a few times myself. Well, who is this person? She's never ran anything. She's never done this. And that's true beyond my own family and my own household. Um, and I've seen a lot of commentary with Alan West about, you know, what what has he advocated? Is he really a Texan? You know, all that sort of stuff. Um, so I don't have a good answer for you on that, Thomas, Okay. but I'm, I'm definitely, um, educating myself. Yeah, no, I, 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 uh, I kind of understand. So Alan West isn't a Texan. He was born in Atlanta. Uh, he was, he served a, a single term in Congress from the state of Florida. Um, but you know, he doesn't have a lot to go off of. If you kind of average all of the different conservative groups voting records for him, I mean, he gets about mm-hmm. a, a solid B. Uh, but you know, I don't know. I don't know enough about what. I, I don't know enough about his beliefs to make it one way or another. Um, Correct. James Dickey, I do know what he believes, and he does believe a lot of the same things that you and I do. But where James Dickey fails is in his ability to stand up for what he believes whenever it comes to those who are elected. And to me, that's a big deal because you can believe all you want, but if you're not going to take action and stand up for those beliefs, then you don't have a real belief system. Uh, I, I am definitely incredibly critical of James Dickey's performance. Um, 
And, you know, to be honest, I do think that it is time for him to be replaced because he didn't, he did not fulfill his obligations to us uh, whenever he was elected as the state GOP chair. And, you know, his two predecessors did the same thing. Uh, but, you know, I, I digress. Um, but so that, that kind of leads us into the conversation about the end of the 86 legislation where Bonin essentially threatened all of the representatives. Mm-hmm. You know, that I was just stunned. I mean, that's just such incredible arrogance. First of all, you assume you're going to be there next time to punish everyone. Right. Um, but then I do also have issue with, and here's probably where I'll go into this a little differently than than a, another candidate. These people, it's one person against 149. Mm-hmm. Well, minus the Democrats, because they were thrilled with the outcomes of the session. Right. Uh, but the Republican representatives outnumbered Dennis Bonin. And they need to get a backbone, you know, and I understand about sometimes it's give and take on some issues, but to, to accept being threatened about who I can or cannot support as a candidate, that is unacceptable of the representatives as well. I mean, Bonin's going to do it because, you know, that's his nature, but to be allowed to get away with it, that's a different problem. I absolutely agree. Uh, and, you know, for some of them, maybe it is because of a lack of a backbone. And for others, maybe it's because they're just like Bonin. Where there's one Bonin, I'm sure there are there are multiple people like him that believe the same thing, even in the same governmental body. Uh, but, you know, that's for their districts to take up. That's for the people of their districts to stand up against their, you know, their representatives and determine whether or not they're spineless or whether or not they're, they're, uh, uh, malicious either way, you need to get rid of them. Um, sure. you, you know, I was incredibly saddened, uh, when, uh, Jonathan Stickland announced that he was not seeking reelection, but I understood, you know, it, the man has been beaten down ever since he first took office and he has been the only one with a spine and he has been the only one to stand up and and just get you know f- crapped on constantly by the establishment uh you know he gets beaten up by the media he gets beaten up by republicans he gets beaten up by democrats uh you know i jonathan's a, a wonderful man and i don't begrudge him at all for, for quitting the Freedom Caucus, for saying that he's not seeking re-election. Uh, he is, you know, I would, he's probably a better man than I could have been if I were in his situation. <laughs> I would like to think that I would be the same, but I honestly have no idea. <laughs> sure. I just, um, I haven't had the opportunity to speak with Mr. Sicklin as of yet, but um, I... If I could emulate one politician's course, it would be his. Um, And not to write on his coattails or anything like that, but I believe that he did the right things. And doing the right thing when it's not popular or when you're not going to gain something out of it or if you're going to lose something out of it, that is the true measure of one of a man, but also of 
that's what we should look for in our representatives. Um, and again, this is outside of my wheelhouse. You know, I have a tremendous amount of opportunity to learn, but I'm not interested. I'll say this. I will tell you that my political votes, should I, should I get the opportunity to vote, will never represent political survival, if that makes sense. It is about what is the right thing, what best represents the people in my district. And I wish that there were more representatives out there like that. I think what you're talking about is a thing called integrity, which seems to be absent in Austin, uh, save for one man who is now no longer going to be in Austin. Um, so that that is that is wonderful to hear you say. Um so let's talk about your campaign uh, within just a, a days, if not a, a week or two from your announcement. Um, you, you had quite a bit of a, a response from that. Uh, you care to talk about that at all? Sure. Um, you know, I didn't know what to expect. Um, I, I um, was very nervous, not to lie, that first day when we went kind of live. Um, and it just really had been overwhelmed at the amount of response we had within, before the week was out, we had over 200 volunteers signed up to account, um, for the campaign. And the fundraising has gone relatively well. I mean, just, um, I've gotten to meet and talk with a lot of people who um, are like-minded and a few that were not like-minded and that's okay too. Um, but it was heartening, I think, more than anything to realize that, you know, because I was very nervous about this, you know, I'm just stepping out into the unknown by myself is what I felt like. And it turns out that uh, I wasn't by myself. And there are a lot of people out there who want to see better things for the state of Texas. Um, so that was very heartening. Um, and I hope, you know, I hope that can, trend continues. No, I, I absolutely agree. Um so uh, your website, if you don't mind, what, what is your website? Sure. It's pretty simple. It's just rondasetheseth.com. Um, my platform is on there. Uh, I was pretty specific in where I stood on specific issues. Um, you contact me. I've tried very hard to get back to every single person who has had a question. You know, I understand people don't know me. Um, and I'm always happy to have a conversation and answer those questions to the best of my ability. All right. I see here you have, um, I'm throwing your uh, website up on the monitor for people to, uh, to take a look at. Um, mm -hmm. and I see that you have volunteers that you can, uh, people can volunteer here. There's donations that people can, can do. Obviously that is, uh, that is the lifeblood of any campaign is volunteers and donations. Um, sure. So with all of that being said, do you have, um, you know, do you have enough volunteers? Do you need more volunteers? Uh, are your donations <laughs> steady? What, what can people do that? What, what do you need most as far as sure. help from people? Sure. So I have been appalled at how expensive it is to run a campaign. And I, I see now why I have been told so many times with that tone of uh, good luck with that. <laughs> um, I, it sadden, saddens me, honestly, that it costs as much as it does um, to be able to reach the number of people. 
Um, but you're right, that is part of it. Um, and donations are going to be critical to being able to uh, develop name recognition. Um, I watched in Mr. Bonin's last campaign, he threw a lot of money at TV ads and things like that. Um, so, you know, I'm willing to do the work and get out and just knock on people's doors and talk with people. Um, but yes, contributions um, are paramount. And then yes, volunteers. I would love to see every person in my district volunteer because that means that we're solid in our message, which is we need better representation. Absolutely. And, you know, it's going to, you're eventually going to get to a point with TV and radio ads, but, you know, for the time being now, it's like getting people engaged, uh, getting flyers on people's doors. I know that that might cause DPS to interfere with you, but, um, <laughs> but. Well, I will say I thought in that particular instance with Chris McNutt, <laughs> when I really listened to that video, <clears throat> I was. I kind of almost felt like that the DPS officer was the hero of the video uh -huh. because he asked appropriate questions. He allowed good answers, you know, and he just really gave him a platform to um, explain uh, exactly what was happening and to be able to contra uh, contradict the spin that was put on it. Right. Well, I don't think at the time that he knew what was going to be, to happen, but that was just how he interacted. You know, I, I don't think he was given the given the intel. Hey, we're going to turn this into an international news story to slam gun rights <laughs> activists. So, <laughs> uh, but you know, no. but yeah. So getting getting people out and getting flyers, all of which costs money. Uh, getting things printed up, getting things, you know. Volunteers are are fantastic, but you're right. The cash is absolutely needed uh, to to get things going. Um, sure. So uh, I I assume that no donation is too small. No, we've had we've had some very generous contributions. We've had some five dollar contributions. Um, I look at those as equally appreciated. Um, every, even when somebody puts $5 in, they're letting me know, Hey, I hear you. Um, I'll do what I can to support you, um, and to support our district. And that, that is part of what has been so heartening. Um, so any, nothing is too big, nothing's too small and everything is appreciated and, um, will be turned into a means to, again, try to regain control of our district. Absolutely. Um, well, Rhonda, look, I, I seriously applaud you so much for, for just entering this race. Um, you know, it is going to be a hard race. I'm sure that you know that, uh, you are going up against somebody who at the beginning of session had a $4 million war chest and it's only grown since then. Um, and I know that, that you're not, I, I know that that doesn't, I know that that's not something that is lost on you. I know that, that you understand just how, how difficult of a trek this is going to be, but that makes well, it, Oh, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, let me say this is that I don't know that I do truly understand it yet. We'll talk again at the very end, <laughs> see what's happened. But, um, 
I've seen and interacted and watched Bonin for 10 years and I have no illusions that this is going to be um, brutal in some ways. And I've been told over and over again, Hey, if they don't find anything on you, they'll make stuff up about you. You know, they'll attack what kind of parent you are, what kind of nurse you are, um, just anything to sway the tide. Mm-hmm. And I think what I ask is just if, if people start seeing that sort of stuff, I'm just an average normal citizen. I don't um, claim to be some paragon of perfection. Um, reach out to me, ask, you know, don't buy into the social media. I mean, there's so many people already that have tried friending me that I know support Dennis Bonin. So, you know, I'm just being proactive about that. If you see something or have a question, ask me, don't just assume it and don't spread it. Right on. Well, um, so the website is rondaseth.com. Uh, guys, please head out there. I'm going to put it in the comments here. Um, so that way everybody can get to it. Uh, if, 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 if you can help out, if you can volunteer, if you can throw a $5 donation at her, uh, that would be, I'm sure so appreciated. Um, I know that, I know that she is, she, you know, she is definitely genuine when she says all of this. I, I couldn't imagine somebody who's never held a, never even run for a political office before, um, making any of this up she's she's absolutely absolutely wonderful i i know that we're not officially endorsing but that's kind of a pretty good i guess personal endorsement for me (laughs) um (laughs) so if y'all could please go to rondaseth.com uh donate volunteer do what you can uh obviously don't put yourselves out uh you know if if you guys got rent payments coming up and it means yeah, the difference between making it conservative and responsible. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, well, Rhonda, before we wrap things up, is there anything else that you want to say to the, to everybody? No, just I appreciate this opportunity. And I mean, I'll just give you my word that I'll do my best to work hard and to be able to earn your support. And um, I just, I want to be a good representative for our district um, and I'll do my best to, to accomplish that. So any support is appreciated. I certainly cannot do it by myself. It's going to take every one of us. Right on. Well, Rhonda, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, You do have an open invitation anytime that you want to come back on uh, as the campaign progresses. I seriously wish you the most amount of luck that you can get. I hope that uh, there's plenty of good fortune that comes your way. uh, And I, I hope that everything just, I hope that everything works out for you and I hope that you win. Uh, Guys, guess that's going to wrap it up for me. Until next Sunday, arm yourself with knowledge and share the ammo.